Should I invite them to sing with me? Oh, come let us adore. Sing it with me. Come on. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. You got it. Sing it with me now. Father, we've come today to interact with you. Lord, I'm I'm thankful that you are not a God that is far off in the heavenlies, that cannot be touched, cannot be spoken to, cannot be interacted with. One of the primary purposes we understand of Christmas is that you took the opportunity to lay down your heavenly glory to come and live among men. And you did that. For 33 and a half years, you graced us with your presence in human form. But then, Lord, you went away and you said before you left that you were not going to leave us comfortless, but that you would send another one just exactly like you, known as the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you. Thank you today that you gave us your Son, but you also gave us your Spirit so that every day of our lives we can live knowing that we are in relationship with you. We've come here today to touch you and to allow you to touch us. So, Lord, I'm thankful that we could worship you today in song, and now we worship you by receiving your Word And we pray, Lord God, that you will speak what we need to hear through your messenger this morning. And we give you all of the praise, for we ask it in Jesus' lovely name. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to speak for a few moments this morning on a message that I am entitled, Lessons from the Nativity. Lessons from the Nativity. Today I want us to consider that beyond historical and theological implications, the Christmas story provides relevant application for the contemporary believer. Let me say that again. It's very important. That beyond historical and theological implications... The Christmas story provides relevant applications for the contemporary believer. In verse 1 it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Sirius. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house 
and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who is engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people that He favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all of these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Amen. Well, you know, we know the language of Christmas, don't we? We could say this morning it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. They say that on about Thursday of this week that there's a chance that we could get our first snowfall. You know, I'm so happy. I am ready for some snow this year. And I know some of you are rebuking me and the Lord right now, even as I speak. But I'm ready to do some slip sliding away with Paul Simon this year and just have a good time in the snow. I'm a northerner. I was raised up north. I, I, you know, I've been up here most of my life, and I just feel like that if I'm going to have to put up with the cold, I might as well have some snow to go with it. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We also know that it's the most wonderful time of the year, is it not? I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. There are a lot of times throughout the year that I like probably as good as Christmas, but I do like Christmas. I like many of the aspects of Christmas. It's just a wonderful time of festive celebration. And just mentioning Christmas for many brings thoughts of different types of things. For some, it brings thoughts of decorating. Now, let me just see your hands. How many of you have been decorating since Thanksgiving? Let me see your hands. Uh, let, me, let me just back up and say, how many of you have been decorating since before Thanksgiving? 
There's something wrong with you. I just want to say that right now. There's something wrong with you. How many of you like to decorate? How many of you have your trees up? How many of you have your garland up outside? How many of you put your uh, stockings up on the wall or on the mantle? Can I see your hands? How many of you have a stocking that says pastor on the side of your... No, I'm just kidding. For other people, though, it's not about decorating. I'll be honest with you, I hate decorating. You can ask my wife, I just don't like it. I just, I, I do it because I want to stay married. I've made it 39 years, and I'd like to make it another 39, but I just hate it. I hate getting the boxes out. I hate having to sort through the lights. I hate having to, dis, to tear the lights apart and string them out. It's the one time of the year that I come closest to losing my sanctification all year long. When those dumb lights get wrapped up and I have to unwrap them. I just don't like it. My wife loves to decorate. I, I thought I'd take a chance this year and I said, Babe, the Christmas, the, the, the sanctuary looks so beautiful this year. Those, those trees and the trees here and, and the balls and, and everything and we got a tree at the back. I said, why don't we just not decorate the house? And if we feel like that we need to see something that looks Christmassy, we can just walk over to the church and just sit there and look for a few minutes. That'd be way easier than having to put up the lights. And she just looked at me like I'd lost my mind. And she said, you know that that is not going to happen. She loves to decorate. For others, it's shopping. You know, you get your little list together and I'm going to buy this for that and I'm going to get, get this for that and I'm going to make this for that one and all that. How many of you love to shop? Can I see your hands? How many of you are doing more shopping online than ever before? How many of you are going to actually go to the mall and shop? Can I see you? There's something wrong with you too. I just, no, I'm only kidding. Some people just love to shop. Now, at our house, uh, last week, just a few days ago, I guess, we drew names, as we always do for the adults in our household, and, and I drew Elizabeth's this year, and I know that she's very happy because I always give good gifts. They're, they're usually not very expensive. We set a limit for 20 bucks, but, but I, I, I've already been thinking about it. You know, I've, I've done a little research online. I've been trying to find some ugly stuff that I could add to her wardrobe and and you know things like that i've been thinking and praying about shopping for my daughter-in-law i don't have to worry about shopping for her we haven't bought each other a gift and i don't know when because we'd rather give the grandbabies presents than to give it to one another but shopping some enjoy giving at christmas others start compiling their own christmas wish rather than thinking about others. Let me ask you, how many of you already know what you want for Christmas? Can I see your hand? Not very many. That's interesting to me. There's not a whole lot of hands that are up. How many of you love Christmas movies? Can I see your hands? I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I want you to shout out as loud as you can the name of your favorite Christmas movie. Are you ready? One, two, three. All right. 
Good deal. How many of you like Hallmark movies? Can I see your hands? There's something way wrong with you if you like Hallmark movies. How many of you like Elf? Can I see your hand? How about the Grinch that stole Christmas? How many of you like Home Alone in the series? How about the Polar Express? Can I see your hand? How many of you like all of them? Let me see your hands. Good deal. We like movies. Amen. We like the songs. Some of some of you like the the more modern Christmas songs that are available, and some of you like the old traditional. Uh, one of the things I like about Sirius XM Radio is you can get all that you want at different channels, which whichever you prefer. But we love Christmas, and we enjoy it. And I enjoy the atmosphere around Christmas. It's, it's just a festive time. But I have to tell you that as a pastor and as a preacher of the Word of God, I do have one minor concern, and that is that with all of the stuff that surrounds Christmas, the commercialization of it, all of the stories, as we just mentioned, Elf and, and the Grinch, and, and I, I forgot the best one of all. It's a Charlie Brown Christmas. How many of you remember that one? I love all that stuff, and I love uh, taking the kids and seeing the lights and lights under Louisville and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I hope that you're doing some stuff like that with your family. I truly, truly do. But the main concern that I have is, is that sometime, sometimes the most important story of all, the one that started all of this, kind of just gets lumped in with everything else. And it's about the same priority-wise as all of the other stories that are told. And let me just encourage you this year. I know that Pastor John has been working with the young adults, and he, he put in your hand this year an Advent devotional that you can use with your families. And if you haven't gotten one of those, see Pastor John. I'm sure that he has a few more copies. But I pray, and I, I hope that in addition to all of the other celebrations that you will participate in, that you will remember that the most important thing of all is that we remember that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the destiny that we have eternally. That when He came as a baby in a manger many years ago, that He came for a reason and with a purpose. So today and this year as I've been reading the story and I began meditating on it several days ago and weeks ago, and I just began to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, you know, help me not to just lump it in with everything else. Help me not to just see it as a pastor who would study it historically. Listen, I've studied the history of it and I know it pretty well. I'm convinced, and I would suggest to you today that it really happened just exactly the way that the Bible says that it happened. It is historically accurate. It is historically true. And if I wanted to today, I could talk to you about the history of the event of the coming of Jesus Christ the first time. I've also studied it theologically. I understand what all of it means to us theologically. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but if it were not for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, our theology would fall completely apart. It would be very different than the theology that we believe today. Jesus would be no different than any of the other religious figures that many people have chosen to worship. But I'm thankful today that I know that theologically that we understand that Jesus was born of a virgin and did not have a father, a human father, but the heavenly father was his father and is his father, and we serve a holy God today. I understand about the historical part of it, the theological part of it, but today I just want to share with you some very practical, relevant thoughts that surround this manger scene and what it means to us. So I have three that I want to share with you today. And the first is this. When we think about Christmas and we think about the birth of Jesus and the manger story, the first thing I want us to understand is that true identity trumps public perception. Let me say that again. True identity trumps public perception. Now, from the natural point of view, this was just another birth, just another young couple. It could have been the French family, for all we know, just starting their family, beginning their family, having a baby. But we understand that this was more than just a young family that decided that they were going to have a baby. We understand that it moved beyond the natural point of view and is a spiritual reality. There were those who did not believe that this baby was Jesus. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was who he said he was. But listen, I want you to know that the birth of this baby represented the culmination of many, many years of prophetic voices that said there is a Messiah who will come to this world and who will change the, th the way that things are. Prophets of old had taken many opportunities to point people to a coming Messiah. And although this child did not fulfill what the Jewish nation was expecting, the declaration of the angel at the manger was clear. He said, I want you to listen and I want you to hear me because this child is the Messiah. He said, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Amen. I'm glad to know today that that baby that was born is who the Bible says that he is. It doesn't matter what public opinion says. It doesn't matter if it, people say, well, you know, there are many ways to the Father. There are many ways that we can be saved. I, I don't have to follow this baby named Jesus, but then what are you going to do with Scripture that says there is no other name given among men whereby men must be saved but that name of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except 
through him. He's the Messiah. He's not just some little weak-kneed baby that was born in Bethlehem, but when he was born, he set into motion things that would take place that would ultimately bring salvation to mankind. Aren't you thankful for that today? See, that, that's good news. Because he proved that public opinion does not matter. He proved that what other people think about you does not matter. I don't know about you today, but I've had a few people have a few opinions about me down through the years. I've had a few people like me. I've had a few people that they thought, you know, well of me. I had a few people that were my friends. And I had a few people that wouldn't walk across the street to shake hands with me. I've had people that have called me names that I can't repeat. I've I've had people think things about me that were not true. And if all I had to go on was human emotion and feelings, I'm telling you I could be lower than a snake's belly in a wagon wheel rut on some days. That's pretty low. But I'm thankful today that it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about me. Because the only thing that matters is what my maker thinks of me. What my creator thinks of me. The one who made me as I am. The one who said you are, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. Amen. That's the only thing that matters today. Public opinion doesn't matter much at all. You say, well, doesn't it, doesn't it frighten you that we're living in a day and age when the church has lost its uh, respect and, and people don't respect the church and ministers the way that they used to? Well, it concerns me on one level, but on another level, I have to tell you that the world is never going to like the church. The the world is never going to like a preacher or someone like you who testifies at work and declares uh, the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're never going to like you for your faith. They're never going to believe necessarily the same way that you do. But it's okay today for you to know that public opinion does not matter about you. The only thing that matters is what What does Jesus have to say about you? Amen. When your husband gives you that look, or your boyfriend gives you that look, or your girlfriend gives you that look, and that wife of yours gives you that crazy look, your boss gives you that look, your neighbor gives you that look, just look back at them and send a blessing their way and know, you know, it doesn't matter what they think and it doesn't matter how they treat me. It doesn't matter what's going on in their mind. All that I know is that my Savior, the Messiah, came to save me from my sins and He loves me with a love unexpressible. Amen. True identity trumps public perception. It didn't matter what Caesar said. It didn't matter what the Jews thought. It didn't matter what the religious elite thought. The only thing that mattered 
is what the Holy Spirit inspired the angel to say when he said, don't forget, folks, when you look at this setting, that the most important thing for you to take away from this is that today in the city of David was born a Savior for you, the Messiah, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful that we have a true identity that has been given us by God Himself. But there's another thing I want you to consider. The second thing I want you to see that came out of this manger scene is that earthly weakness can position you for spiritual greatness. Now I say that again. Earthly weakness can position you for spiritual greatness. The birth of Jesus proves that power and prestige are not necessary to fulfill divine destiny. Aren't you glad for that? I've always thought to myself, I wish I could preach on TV like Rod Parsley. I wish I could preach on TV to, the, to as many as T.D. Jakes does. I wish I could preach like him. I wish I could stick my belly out there like that and just kind of walk around and kind of preach like he does and have people just go absolutely nuts and crazy. Just standing up and waving their hankies in the air and think that, man, I, preachers fantasize about stuff like that. Oh, you know, I, I practice it sometimes in the bedroom when Donna's gone. Just But you know, God didn't call me to that. God just called me, I guess, to be a Southern Illinois redneck. That's all I know. I just raised in a preacher's home. I, I, I grew up in Southern Illinois around a bunch of farmers and coal miners and there's nothing powerful about that and there's nothing prestigious about that whatsoever. But you know, and when I get to, the, to, to heaven and stand before the Lord, I'm not going to worry about how powerful my family was or was not or how prestigious I was or was not. The only thing I'm going to worry about is hearing him say, well done, faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many. Amen. See, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. You can tell that, can't you? There are days I don't even know how to talk right. I mean, there, you, you know, there are times that my grammar is non-existent. How many, how, existent. How many of you know that's true? There, there are times that I say things that some of you scratch your head and say, I don't have a clue what he just said. I don't have a clue. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't born... And put in these, uh, these, these birth, uh, you know, the baby clothes that you get. No, I had hand-me-downs from my sisters. My oldest sister was 11 years older than me. And my second sister was 7 years older than me. And my mama, she kept all those little girls' dresses and robes and things like that. And she put them over in the side because they didn't know if one day they might have a boy or a girl. And when they had the boy, you'd have thought for sure she'd have made a trip to Goodwill. But instead of doing that, she broke out those little 
dresses and I got a lot of pictures of me in dresses with little fringes on the bottom of it and my mama's got, you know, my hair all slicked back like a little girl and, and it's embarrassing to me. My mama's gone now. She's with Jesus. But I still every now and then point my finger in her face and say, see what you did to me, mama? I wasn't born in prestige. I was born in Lynette, Alabama where the ground was red clay. And the, the fact of the matter is, where I was born, they didn't even have a hospital. So they had to take me to Georgia, of all places, to go to a hospital where I could be born. Now, I don't know that I've ever told you that, because I don't want you to know that I was born in Georgia. When, I, when they explained it to me, I said, well, we lived in Alabama, but I was born in Georgia. They said, yeah, but just as fast as we could, we got you back to Alabama. But then when I was 11 months old, they got me out of Alabama and took me to West Virginia. And you know how preachers are. You can't ever keep them tied down very long, especially in those days. And I've lived here, there, and yonder. But everywhere we've lived, I've just been an old redneck. And a prophet came to me one time when I was preaching at the end. A little lady came pointing her finger at me and she said, I have something to say to you. She said, do you know what you are? She said, you ain't nothing but a southern Illinois redneck. So it's, it has been confirmed. I'm nothing but a southern Illinois redneck. But before you cross your eyes at me, let me just say to you, I'll bet you a dollar that there are some of you that were born in like circumstances as me. You don't have prestige put with your name. You don't have power with your name. Your last name's probably not Rockefeller. Your last name's probably not Bush or anybody else that has a lot of money, your name probably isn't any of those things, but listen, it doesn't matter about your power. It doesn't matter about your prestige. It doesn't matter if, if your name is Obama or not, or, or Trump or not, or any of the others that I could name off. I'm here to tell you the only thing that I care about is my name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life and Jesus placed it there for me. Jesus was born in a stable where animals bedded down and were fed. How many of you know that animals can stink? I've got a labradoodle that is about this size. And normally, Boomer doesn't smell bad at all. He's one of those... Uh, he, 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 he was... Uh, bread so that his hair won't fall out. Uh, he doesn't shed. Uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't stink. He doesn't eat. But, but I, I bathed him the other day, and ever since I bathed him, my wife declares that his ears stink. And we've been going back and forth a little bit the last couple of days about whether his ears stink or not. I said, baby, his ears don't stink. I pulled him over there next to where I was and I pulled one of his ears up and I stuck my, my nose right down in his ear just like this. And the ear didn't stink. I turned his head over and pulled his ear up. I said, his ear does not stink. I said, would you like to have a sniff? 
She said, something about him stinks. I'm going to tell you what he stinks. What stinks, I said. He's been burping. I said, I changed his food. And he's been coming over here and looking at me and going, Bleh. I said, it's not his ears. It's whatever's in his gut. He's burping it up. And it smells bad. She said, I don't know what we're going to do. I can't take it. You got to do something to that dog. And said, I don't know what to do, baby. Let's just lay hands and pray for him. I, I don't know what else to do. <coughs> Jesus was born in the stall where Boomer was a burping. He could have been born in the Hilton, but he had stinky animals all around him. Scripture tells us that he had no form or comeliness. What does that mean? That means he wasn't even good looking. Now, I don't know, you know, I, I don't probably need to get into this, but you know, uh, sometimes we think we look better than we actually look, and sometimes we don't look as bad as we think we do. But they said about Jesus, said when you looked at him, you wouldn't have said, oh, that's a beautiful baby. Look how pretty he is. Look how good looking he is. Look how strong he is. Look, look, he's a, he's a good one. I mean, he, he's, he was born with beauty. No, the scripture says he had no form or comeliness so that you would look at him and think that is one beautiful baby. For 30 of his 33-year life, he was a common, ordinary laborer. We don't think about Jesus, but probably had a tool belt wrapped around him most of the time, like, like Tim the Toolman Taylor. How many of you remember him? Have a hammer hanging down the side because he was a carpenter. He took on the trade of his daddy. He just did life as so many others did. But again, that is good news to the believers because you don't have to be somebody special. You don't have to be somebody with prestige. You don't have to have somebody with the right last name. You don't have to have been born in the right part of town. You don't have to have a certain color of skin or, or, or nationality. You don't have to be a certain genetic or gender. You don't have to have all you have to do is believe that Jesus is who he says that he is that he did what he said he would do uh, and receive him into your life and you can be a child of God just like everyone else. Amen. I don't know. I love being in America, but I'm not real happy with what we're dealing with in our, in our nation today. I'll tell you, it's time for us to get over ourselves. It's time for us to start loving people with a godly, divine love, regardless of what type of uh, background that they have, what part of town they come out of, uh, what color their skin is, uh, what, what their gender is whatsoever. We are all uh, in the same family of God and should love one another with an everlasting love.
in case you're wondering what I'm doing, I almost got mean for a minute, and I decided I was going to, I was going to let that that pass for just a second. I'm not going to be mean this year, but I am going to tell it like it is. I'm going to try and find ways to say it though, so that you won't be mad at me. Yeah, you will too. You'd have been mad if I'd have said what I was thinking. Here's my point. You may be a nobody from nowhere. You may not be beautiful. You may have no special talents. Man, don't you just love the way these people up here sing? The way that they play? Makes me jealous. Wish I could sing like that. I can't sing like that. There may be some of you saying, I wish I could sing like that. Listen, you don't have to sing like that if God didn't give you the voice and the talent. But God has given you a gift. And God has given you a talent if you will use it for His kingdom. You may not have unlimited resources. And others may turn up their nose at you and try to make you feel inferior. But let me remind you that it is not your strength that makes you strong. It is your weakness that makes you strong. Because in your weakness the Spirit of the living God will rise up in you and cause you to be strong when you are weak in the flesh. Amen. See, in your spirit life, your weaknesses actually work to your advantage. For in your weakness, He is strong. Listen, I love to get into situations, not in my flesh, but in my spirit. I love to get into situations where I absolutely know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I'm going to fail Unless Jesus anoints me to get the job done. I, I've, been, I've been back here in this building. And I go back there just about every day and I pray over that building. And I said, Lord, I know that you gave me a vision. I know what you spoke into my spirit about this child care center and about this school that we're getting ready to start. I know what you said. And Lord, it seems like that every time that we take a step into your vision that we meet up with things that we did not anticipate. We've gotten into some electrical problems back there that we didn't know that we had. We, we had some lights that were bad that we didn't know were bad. And so we, you know how it is, you put your budget together and you put this amount for this and this amount for this and you always have a little miscellaneous but sometimes miscellaneous seems to get the larger part of the budget. Can I get an amen? You see things and people tell you, well, you can't leave it like that. And, and you got wires up here. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you this story or not, but when we were doing the building back here for the daycare center, and the ceiling guy came to me one day and he was carrying this little yellow phone and he said, Pastor, he said, I don't know if you knew this or not, but this yellow phone was up in the ceiling. And somebody had uh, attached it to one of the beams up there and said, it's still hooked up. I said, does it still work? He said, it doesn't work. We couldn't get a dial tone. He said, but I am puzzled as to what pastor would want to take his phone calls in the attic and have to climb up there on the beam to answer the phone. 
I said, I see it from a different perspective. I said, whoever that pastor was, he got a few phone calls that he wanted, he didn't want any more like that. And he climbed up there and screwed that phone right in there to that beam so that he couldn't answer it anymore. And he could truthfully say, I'm sorry I couldn't get to the phone in time. I'm telling you, you see things that... You know, they kind of throw a wrench in your plans and all that. And you think, oh, I had, a, I had an idea here. I had the plan. I was moving in the right direction. And then the enemy throws something your way. And instead of feeling strong, you feel weak. But let me tell you that when you start feeling weak, that's the best time I know of. Because square your shoulders and say, in my weakness, he will be strong in me. Final thing, and then I'm going to quit. Say Amen. Man, come help me quit if you will. There's a third thing that I see in this story. And it is this. The lesson from the nativity teaches us that with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. And you think about what happened in Bethlehem on that night. And when you really stop and think about that a baby was born from a virgin. When you think about angels coming onto the scene and making prophetic announcements. When you start thinking about the realities of what took place on that day. The only thing that you can conclude is that it is absolutely absurd. It makes no sense to me at all. Well, in your natural man, in your flesh, it wouldn't. Because it's impossible for anyone to be born of a virgin. Now, I know what you're going to say. Uh, not anymore. Not anymore, Pastor. They can take seeds here and put them in tubes there. And they can do this here and do that there. Listen, from the natural point of view, it is impossible for anyone to be born of a virgin. But what man says is impossible, God declares uh, it is possible. I can do all things for the individual that believes in me. Scripture is full of impossibilities. An old man named Abraham and an old woman named Sarah got pregnant when they were too old to produce seed. And their seed virtually populates the world today. Moses stretches out a stick and millions of people are able to walk through the Red Sea on dry land. Elijah declares a three and a half year drought because of the word of the Lord. Joshua looks into the sky and says, Son, be still while I finish off the enemy. Mary was a virgin. 
Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived. He died. He lives again. You said that's not possible. Oh, with man it's not possible. With this world it's not possible. But let me to remind you, we don't live according to worldly standards today. We live in a heavenly realm and have yes and amen promises that are for us. All things are possible to him who believes. Stand with me if you will. Everything that you will ever receive in your spirit life journey will come to you by faith. There will be many times in your life when you will look at the situation and you will say it is impossible. But don't you stay in that moment and don't you stay in that place and don't continue to make that declaration because that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. But you just put him right in his place. I don't serve you. I serve the one who through, all, through Him all things are possible. I'd like to invite everyone in the building this morning to come down here and stand with me if you will. We're going to close as a body of believers. We're going to pray.